Bibles, go to 1 Kings 17. Thank you, Alan and Faith. 1 Kings 17. And I am very grateful that our church is able to partner with uh, people like Christian. And just a great guy, a nice guy, really just wants to see his area reach for Christ. And uh, that's why we're, we just continue to emphasize Missions Month here at our church. Um, so just keep that in mind. You know, when you are giving financially and you're, you're praying for missionaries, you are taking part in what God is doing. Uh, in these different countries. So uh, I'm going to make sure that my screen, the screen doesn't match my tie, because uh, I know that caused a big uproar this morning. Uh, I think I had five people say something to me about it, which means that probably 40 people noticed it, and 40 people were bothered by it, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it, was, if it was bothersome or if it helped you get locked in. Uh, I don't know. I might just do it every time now. We'll see. And no, it was not intentional for everybody asking, okay? I was planning on wearing a green tie this morning, and then that fell apart, literally. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, I didn't, I, never, I didn't think I was going to have to get up here and explain my fashion style, whatever. But anyway, First uh, Kings 17, moving on from that. Uh, <laughs> so far, this 17th chapter of this book, it's been a, really a roller coaster of providence and provision, famine, drought, worry, fear, and faith. And we know that Elijah has been introduced in this chapter. And we know that he's been hiding uh, from the evil king Ahab. And as he hides, the Lord is leading him the whole way. And he's been brought to the river Cherith, uh, where God provided food from the ravens. And he was then led to a widow woman of all things, right, of all people, uh, where God promised, hey, look, I'm going to use her to feed you there in Zarephath. And uh, now all things started to seem like it was going well, not just for Elijah, but for the widow, right? And uh, the Lord was providing food for this widow and for Elijah, as he promised that he would do until the famine was over, but the smooth sailing would soon change in a blink of an eye. And it would all come crashing down. Everything, that it was going great, things were going smoothly, but it would all change. But the good news is, through it all, the Lord God, as He lived, there was hope. And look, we know that that's the case today. And this evening, you may be going through uh, some difficult times. I know some of you are going through difficult times. And maybe some things are going on that maybe a lot of people don't know about. But you can know that regardless of what you're going through in your life, God is still alive. He's still on the throne. And as long as he's there, there's still hope. Uh, so let's go ahead and look at 1 Kings 17 and look at verse 17. <clears throat> it says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house, and delivered him unto his mother. 
And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the Old Testament. We thank you for this book. I thank you uh, for Christ. I thank you, Lord, uh, for what we have in Christ. And I pray this evening as we look into your word and we just go through these verses, I pray that you'll help us. Help us to uh, be filled with hope, knowing what we have in Christ, uh, in a world that has just been constantly uh, opposing you and opposing Christianity. I pray that you'll help us to stand strong, uh, knowing that uh, when we're on your side, that we have nothing to fear. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you'd just give us what we need uh, this evening and help us in the way that only you can, in your holy name. Amen. You know, it's often been said that um, every book in the Bible ultimately points to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe that that is true. And the passage that I just read uh, really is no different. The, the title of the message tonight, as you can see, is The Power of the Resurrection. Now, we're going to see in the raising of this boy from the dead through Elijah, we see a powerful picture of our resurrected Christ. And in that, we see the joy that it brings every single believer. And again, kind of like what I mentioned in the beginning here, uh, in this we see that no matter what we face in life, no matter what hardship we may be going through, uh, through it all we can hold to the truth that there is great hope beyond the grave thanks to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to see uh, through this that even in the midst of turmoil and problems and a sin-cursed world that has seemingly gone mad, we have much to rejoice in. We have much to hold on to, and we will see the great power that is in the resurrection of Christ. So let's look at verse 17, though, again, and we'll just kind of develop this truth. Look at what it says in verse 17. It says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And we know that from verse 15, when we saw, I think it was last week, that God continued to provide food for this little family. And he continued to provide food for Elijah. And it says in verse 15 that uh, he did this. uh, They did eat many days. So uh, the continual miracle of God providing this food. If you're this widow, you would would be pretty happy about this, wouldn't you? Uh, It would bring a sense of happiness and it would bring a sense of security uh, for this widow specifically. But the happy days, of course, as we read in verse 17, are now overshadowed by the sickness and then the death. Of her little boy. Now this poor widow. She experienced really. You could say a one two punch. That would devastate her. First and foremost church. Listen. She lost a child. She lost a child. Now I've never lost a child. And I pray that I never do. But I've I've known several people that have. I know several people that have. My in-laws for one. 13 years ago today actually lost their son. 18 years old. And I know from what I've heard that it's a terrible thing to experience regardless of their age. It's something that no parent ever wants to go through. But with the death of her son, she did not only lose a child that she dearly loved, but she also lost hope for the future. You just consider the fact that with her son gone, she would have nobody to help provide for her in her old age. She didn't have a husband. She didn't have anybody. So everything was going great, everything was smooth sailing, God was providing for her, and then all of a sudden, tragedy disrupted everything. 
And church, isn't this at times how life seems to go? Well, you know, maybe you're on a mountaintop, everything is going well, you're at peace, and then suddenly you're brought down to a, a low and a very deep valley full of sorrow and pain, and it just seems like it just comes out of nowhere. Well, that's what happened with this widow. And of course, as a flood of emotions came over this widow, like Job did, uh, she questioned and she wondered why all this happened. But as she wondered, the guilt of past sin haunted her mind, and it was very heavy on her heart. Look at verse 18 again. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? So we see here that this widow directly blames herself for the death of her son because of maybe some past sin that she committed. And we don't know what this sin was that was bogging her down with guilt. But church, whatever it was, the memory of it was very close to her. And she was feeling really guilty about it. She thought that this killed her son. Can you imagine how that would feel? Now we know this isn't the case. Looking at it now. We know that God would be using this tragedy to show himself mighty once again. He was not doing it to punish her. And then listen, there's an implication for us in this. And some of you really need to hear this. If you're a child of God, you're not going to be punished for past sins. Now here's the thing. Look, if you've confessed it to God, you've forsaken it, you've repented of it, uh, and you've moved on from it, I want you to know God has forgotten about it. He's not going to bring it up. It's as far removed as the east is from the west. He's not going to punish you for something that you've already repented of. Now, will you have to deal with consequences for past sins at times? Yes, you will. But God's not going to actively punish you and try to bring tragedy after tragedy in your life to try to make you pay for it. Okay, that's not how God is. Now, just think about this, okay, to help illustrate this point. Think about how you deal with the sin of your children. When your children sin, when your children have done wrong in the past, for those of you that aren't, don't have little kids in the home now, if, if they repent and they, they ask for forgiveness, you don't continuously remind them of their past error and continue to punish them for that thing they did five years ago, do you? If you do that, then you're, you have problems, right? Instead, a good parent will forgive and correct and provide guidance to help the child learn and to help grow. So tell me this, if that's what we do as earthly parents, then how much greater is God, our Heavenly Father, right? He, he, he uh, treats His children with grace and forgiveness. So when we confess our sins and we seek His forgiveness, He's not holding our past mistakes over our head. That's not how our God is. So again, how much greater is our Heavenly Father than us as parents? So when you, whenever you experience a health crisis or a death in the family or some type of emergency or a tragedy or some other terrible thing that, that causes your world to come crashing down, you need to understand it's not always chastisement. That's what I'm trying to get at here. If you're living in sin, it probably is. But if you're not, it could be, and it probably is, for your own sanctification. Let's hold our place in 1 Kings and go to 1 Peter for a moment. Keep a place in 1 Kings, so we're going to go right back there in a moment. It could be, if you're going through a difficult time, and maybe you're going through a time that seems like it's lasting forever, and, and you're not living in sin, it's likely not chastisement, but rather for your own sanctification. Look at 1 Peter 1, and look at verse 6. 
It says in verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. And look what it says, those three words. If need be. Let me stop right there. Sometimes we need to go through a trial. Sometimes we need to go through a difficult time in our life. Look what it says. Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That means many trials. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So Christian, God could be using this, whatever it is in your, going on in your life, and He probably is trying to use it for your sanctification, so that your life can bring honor and praise and glory to Jesus Christ. I'll go back to 1 Kings 17. We know that praise and honor and glory would go to God because of this tragedy with this, with this widow. In the midst of this heart-wrenching situation where the widow was struggling with her past, what did Elijah do? He took the boy in his arms and he decided to seek the Lord. Look at verse 19. Verse 19. And he said unto her, Give me thy son. He took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? Elijah, he obviously takes the, this dead child from the widow's arm who is grieving and he carries him to his bedroom and then he fervently and sincerely cries out to God on this child's behalf. Now I think it's interesting here that Elijah, who was the man of God, who was a prophet, he did not understand why this happened himself. He didn't know. And he even questioned God about it. And one thing that we learn from this church is that even when we're living for God, even if we're trying to follow His will, uh, sometimes things will just happen that you don't understand. And things will come along in your life that you just don't have the answers for. Because God doesn't want you to have the answers. And you may wonder, what is God's purpose in doing this? I mean, Elijah didn't even know what the purpose was. So he sought God. But listen, church, we also learn in this time, through the example of Elijah, that there's when, when we are going through a trial, when we're going through some things that we don't understand, when we're wondering what is God's purpose in doing what He has done, there, we learn through Elijah that there is often only one thing that we can do. And that is take our concerns and our cares and our anxieties and our worries to the very throne of God as Elijah did. Listen, that's what we need to do. What does 1 Peter 5, 7 say? It says, casting all your care upon him and thank God for he careth for you. Philippians 4, 6 says, be careful for nothing or be anxious for nothing. Don't be worried, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Hebrews 4, 16, we all know that verse. It says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hey, listen, we need to run to God. We need to call upon Christ. And this is what Elijah did. And this is what we, we must do. He, he prayed in great faith and he prayed in desperation and he poured out his heart to the God who hears. Hey, listen, when was the last time that you poured out to God? You just poured out your heart to God and you just begged God. You, you interceded uh, on somebody's behalf. You asked God to... to, to give you wisdom in this situation or this trial that you're going through? When was the last time you did that? 
Look, are you doing that every day? Are you seeking God and pouring out your heart to God, regardless of your situation, like Elijah did? Well, after Elijah cried out to God, and after he asked why he brought this to pass, Elijah then prays for a miracle. Look at verse 21. And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord, and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. Elijah was so concerned about this little boy, and, and he had such great faith that he stretched himself upon this child, and he begged God to put breath back into him. He begged God to help him come back to life. And as Elijah prayed for this boy to be brought back to life with great faith, his prayer did pay off. Look at verse 22. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. Hey, look, church, there's a good theological implication here. Understand that it is God and God only who holds death and life in his hands. Okay, God is in control of that. And he, he's proved this time and time again in Scripture. And uh, this is found explicitly in Scripture many times. But uh, one place I want to mention is 1 Samuel 2, verse 6. It says, The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. And this was proven with Elijah. And he prayed for the resurrection of this child. He prayed for life to be brought back in this child. And it was God and God alone who reigns over life and death back then and even now. But as we see this son being brought back to life and then being brought to his mother, we see a great picture of the power of the resurrected Christ. Look at verse 23. And let me just say this, you know, if, you're, if you look for him, a lot of times you'll find types of Christ in the Bible everywhere. I mean, you'll, you'll just see things pointing to Christ constantly. And look at verse 23. It says, And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in, in thy mouth is truth. Hey, look, this is really wonderful, okay? This is really cool. I want you to see this. The moment this boy was raised from the dead, Elijah brought him down to his mother, and then immediately this woman confessed her belief in the God of heaven. She now believed that the word of of God in the mouth of Elijah was the truth. Now you'd think that after God provided all the, the, the food for her all this time, you'd think that would have done it, but apparently it didn't. It took this, this, her child being raised from the dead to understand, wow, Elijah is the real deal. He really is uh, speaking the truth of God. And in this we're reminded as Christians that belief in the resurrection is the foundation of true faith. This woman saw her child brought back to life, and when nothing else caused her to truly believe in the God of heaven, this did. So in this, we see a beautiful picture of the gospel. As she confessed the Lord God to be true after seeing her son raised from the dead. Now you may say, well, how is this? Well, tell me, what is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, right? It says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. What does Romans 9, uh, 10 verse 9 say? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So, this is, this is, we see this picture here in this, in this book. Uh, Leland Riken said that the widow of Zarephath shows how faith in the living God 
is grounded in the factuality of the resurrection. Belief in the resurrection of the body is the foundation of true faith, and resurrection is the proof of the promise of God. So church, for this widow, the resurrection of her son caused her to have true faith in the living God. And today, for us, salvation comes to us as we trust in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there is great power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know the verse, Romans 1.16, tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Hey, look, there's power in the gospel. There is power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says of Christ that he declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. What did Paul say when he spoke of the power of the resurrection in uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 10? He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Look, the, the power of the resurrection is the power of salvation. And I want you to understand this really clearly tonight. Without the resurrection of Christ, we have no salvation. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have nothing. If Christ had not resurrected, then our faith is in vain. And Paul made this point very clearly. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and see that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And look at verse 14. We're going to read several verses here in this chapter. It really just talks about how significant the, the resurrection of Christ is. And look at verse 14 here. In 1 Corinthians 15. It says, And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. And your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, <coughs> we are of all men most miserable or pitiful. So this is a great passage because it's simply... Explaining that without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are hopeless. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have nothing to live for. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the preaching that I'm doing right now, and the preaching that I do every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, it's all pointless. It's in vain. It is empty. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, assembling together as a church is meaningless. It's of no use. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, trying to live out the Bible through the power of the Holy Spirit of God is meaningless. If Christ had not risen from the dead, then we're still dead in our sins. If Christ had not risen from the dead, then we are most miserable above all men. But here's the good news. He has risen from the dead. Let's look at verse 20. What's it say? After all this, after he says, look, if, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, this, this, and this. But look what it says in verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. He is. He is risen from the dead. He has indeed risen from the dead. And therefore, all that we do for Christ is not in vain. Our faith has great purpose. Now I'm developing a thought here. Here's what I want you to understand. Because Christ has risen from the dead, we have no need to be miserable. 
We don't. Now, now listen. If you're in Christ, if you're saved, you've trusted on Christ for salvation, whatever it is that you're going through right now, understand, you have no reason to be miserable. Now, that might sound a little harsh. And you say, well, you know, that, that, that's a little bit of a, a mean statement, but I, I don't want it to be like that. I want it to be encouraging. You say, well, how is this encouraging? Because here's the thing. If you're saved, you have something that extends so far beyond the physical and the temporal realm. I want you to be encouraged by the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, going back to the widow, okay? The widow was joyful at the fact that her son was raised from the dead. She was really, she would of course be rejoicing at this. She got faith in God because, you know, uh, she saw her son was dead and now he lived. And now she could look forward to many more years of, of memories with her child again. And so this would be a joyful thing. This would be an exciting thing for this mother, for this widow. But understand that this boy would eventually die again. Right? He had a physical body. Eventually he would die again. The life that he would live on earth was limited. So as happy as it would be and it was for him to live again, it was a temporary thing that could only bring this widow temporary happiness. But because Christ has risen from the dead, he has risen and he's never going to die again. And because this is so, his children can have eternal joy, not just in heaven, but here on earth. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at that passage. I love this, the book of Hebrews. There's so many great things in this book as it pertains to Christ. And look at verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. Verse 10 here. Speaking of the saved, those that are in Christ, in verse 10 it says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. Look at verse 11. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So look, as Jesus Christ, as he was crucified, and he was buried, and he rose again, he paid for our sins forever, never having to do it again. Thank God for that. He erased the sin debt of his children once and for all. He would never have to go back to that cross. Never. And he would never have to be sacrificed again. His blood would never have to be shed again because his one sacrifice was enough to forgive the sins of all that come to him. Now, as Christ resurrected, he swallowed up death. 1 Corinthians tells us that. As Christ resurrected, he has given spiritual life to those that were formerly spiritually dead. As Christ resurrected, he has guaranteed the promise of the final resurrection where all that are dead in Christ will raise from the grave. So truly, there is great hope beyond the grave for every believer. Amen. Look, if you're here tonight and you're saved, you have a lot to look forward to. Amen. You do. 
But here's something that's really important that I'm trying, kind of trying to get at here. The resurrection is powerful enough to give us joy in the here and the now. In the here and the now. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And uh, many of you should be very familiar with this passage because we have gone through it before. It's been a, a little bit, but we've gone through it. And um, look what it says in 1 John chapter 1. And look at verse 1. It says in verse 1, in 1 John, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Let me stop right there. This is the Apostle John. What's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, I have seen the risen Christ. I have handled the risen Christ. I have laid eyes on the risen Christ. I know that he's risen. I know that he is real. Now, again, maybe you aren't familiar with this. In 1 John, uh, John was fighting with what's called Gnosticism. Uh, these people believed that Christ wasn't real. He wasn't really flesh and blood. He was just a phantom. Well, John's refuting that and saying, listen, I know he's real. I've, I've touched him. I've seen him. I, I know that he is, he is real. He is flesh and blood. Look what it says in verse 2. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So let me just stop right there for a moment. John is writing all these things and encouraging these believers that maybe were confused by this Gnosticism. And he, then he tells us his whole intention and his whole purpose for writing this book. And what's his purpose? Look what it says in verse 4. Amen. And these things write we unto you. Why? That your joy may be full. Hey, Christian, is your joy full tonight? You know, it can be because Jesus Christ has resurrected. You know, if we're not careful, we can be so consumed with what's to come when we die that we don't take the time to rejoice in Christ while we live right now. Now, I know a lot of times people's intentions are really good, and if you've said this, don't feel like I'm attacking you. I just want to, I've heard people say this, though. They say, you know, I just cannot wait for Christ to come back. And there's nothing wrong with that. We are to be looking, right? We're to be anticipating Christ's return. But on this Christian journey, we must not only be joyful when we finally reach that destination to heaven, we need to be joyful on the journey here on earth. We're, we are not as men most miserable, right? But so many people that live their life, even the saved people, they often live as if they are. They walk around the world, they look miserable. They walk around town, they look miserable, they look sad. Listen, are you saved? Look, if, if that's how we're living our life, what are we doing living like that? Where is the joy of our salvation? So I want you to think about this tonight. Do you have joy in your journey because of the resurrection of Christ? Or are you living your Christian life in misery? If so, then something is amiss. The, 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 the truth of the resurrection, it's not just something that we take our, really to our grave into eternity, but it's something that we hold on to all throughout our Christian life. It is something that we must rejoice in while we are living and breathing. Amen. We can have joy because Christ has resurrected even on this earth. It's not just about the destination of heaven, it is about the journey. 
I want to just kind of give you uh, an illustration to help, help you with this point. Just imagine uh, you're, you're planning this cross-country road trip with your family. And I know maybe some of you guys hate driving like me. I don't like to drive, but some people like to drive. And, and imagine you love to drive. And you love uh, going on trips, and, and you're, you're planning this cross-country road trip with your family, and the ultimate goal is to reach a beautiful seaside resort on the coast, and your destination, it promises relaxation and wonderful views and good moments with your family by the ocean. At least you're hoping for good moments with your family, right? It's going to be exciting. It's going to be good. But as you embark on that journey, you're excited about what lies ahead. You're excited about that destination. But you also realize that the journey itself holds its own unique adventures. During the road trip, maybe you pass through some uh, picturesque landscapes. You see some really cool and unique small towns and maybe some big exciting cities. And then you discover some hidden gems along the way. Maybe like a, a hole in the wall restaurant that just has great food and you just better than you've tasted in a while. Maybe something like that uh, to even beautiful views of nature that's only known to the locals and to people that are looking for it. And through that, that trip, through that, that car ride, and through that journey, your family bonds over conversations and, and, and fun experiences. And then it becomes clear that your journey is not just a means to an end. It is a significant part of the entire trip. There's laughter. There's stories. There's unexpected detours even. And maybe a few hiccups along the way. And there's small moments of joy during that trip that eventually become cherished memories. Hey, church, listen, this is a picture of what we have with life on earth and the destination of heaven. Just as you wouldn't be rushing through that journey uh, to reach a resort, but you are savoring the experiences along the way, life on earth is meant to be full of joy. And it's available to you because Jesus Christ has been resurrected. And because of his resurrection, we can have joy today. Because of the resurrection, we can rejoice now. We are able to praise God even in difficult times. We can be thankful for His grace even in the unexpected detours and in the trials of our life. It's like that song says, Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. And life is worth the living just because He lives. So because He lives, we can have joy on our journey here on earth. We have great joy in our salvation. And the joy that we have in the resurrected Christ is a joy that far surpasses the joy that that widow would have had in her resurrected son. Again, because it lasts forever. The resurrection of Christ is powerful enough to give us this joy unspeakable and to give us the fullness of joy even on the worst of days. Hey, look, this is why Paul uh, could have joy in prison as he wrote to the church of Philippi. I mean, you just think about the conditions that Paul would be writing that book in. He was not in a favorable circumstance by any means. And yet, he still talked about the joy that he had in Christ. He still talked about the power of the resurrection. So church, tonight, in your weakness, in your trials, in your suffering, in your terrible situation, whatever it is that you've got going on in your life, throw yourself upon the power of God. Believe by faith in the power of His resurrection day by day. I encourage every one of us to reflect on the truth of the resurrection and its life-changing power. 
hey, listen, because of the resurrection, our faith is not in vain. And we can experience joy even in the midst of life's greatest challenges. Tonight, consider your own journey here on earth. Just like travelers on a road trip, they're finding joy in their adventure, we too can find joy in our daily lives, knowing that the resurrection of Christ fills our life with purpose and with hope. As long as he's alive, we have purpose. We have hope. Tonight, I encourage you to allow God to help you embrace the power of the resurrection. Allow it to be a guiding light into your life. Allow it to be a source of unwavering joy and a foundation of your hope. Don't just rejoice in the destination of heaven, but also rejoice in the journey that God has given us here on earth. Because in Christ we have abundant life here on earth and in heaven. And take the time to share the message of the wonderful gospel to those that are around you. And look, there's a lot of people that you see every day that don't have joy. They don't have any reason to have joy. Because they are without Christ. Each one of us should strive to be a beacon of light in a world that's filled with darkness and share the transforming power of the gospel with other people. So church, in, in the face of life's challenges and trials, remember, because he lives, you can face tomorrow with confidence and with joy. Whatever happens tomorrow, if you're in Christ, you can face it because he still lives. You can still have joy. The resurrection of Christ, while it is a historical event, it's not only a historical event, it is a living reality that changes our lives forever. Jesus Christ is alive, and he always will be. So every day look to the Lord. Proclaim and believe his truth, just as this widow of Zarephath did when she she acknowledged the truth of God that was in Elijah's mouth. Rejoice each day in the power of the resurrection. And look, every day, rejoice in what you have in salvation. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight.